name is Natalie Nation, and you're listening to Feed That Nation. I'm a graduate student, I'm a future registered dietitian, I'm a content creator, a health educator, and a self-proclaimed mac and cheese expert. I create content here on Feed That Nation all about college life, college health, and college wellness with the goal of helping you, my fellow college students, to be more successful, more confident, and more healthy in your student journey. I am joined this week by Mandy from Inner Harbor, and I'm very excited this episode we are going to talk about pandemic grief and the grieving that a lot of college students are doing during this time. But before we get into that, just wanna go ahead and remind you to subscribe to my podcast. If you're listening on a podcast platform, go ahead and leave me a review and a five-star rating over there if you're able. If you're watching me on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel, throw this video a thumbs up, leave me a comment below, and don't forget to go ahead and follow me on Instagram. I am at FeedThatNation and go check out my blog, FeedThatNation.com. Also, go ahead and check out my affiliate partner, Coconut Whisk. Coconut Whisk is a gluten-free, vegan, allergy-friendly baking mix company. They are Minnesota local, which I love, and I absolutely love their products. They're so good. They're so easy. They're so fun. I mentioned this a couple of episodes ago. I just tried their confetti mug cake for the first time. Oh my goodness, it was so, so good. Probably made even better by the fact that it was four in the morning when I ate it, but you know, that happens. Go ahead and check them out. I will leave the link below. And if you use my coupon code, FeedThatNation, you get 15% off your order and I receive a small commission. So everybody wins in this scenario. Go check out Coconut Whisk. So as I mentioned, I have Mandy with me today. Mandy is a social worker and she is going to give us an introduction of who she is and what she does. And then we will go ahead and dive into this episode. So take it away. Uh, Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm very excited to be here. My name is Mandy Zucker. I'm the founder and president of Inner Harbor. We are an organization that supports students, mostly college students, after some kind of a loss. Uh, It could be a death, but it could be other kinds of losses like a divorce, a move, a breakup, um, going to college, all of those kinds of things that uh, students experience a loss. And before we get into kind of the meat of the episode, I do want to give a couple of disclaimers here. The first of which is that Mandy is a social worker. She is licensed. I am not licensed in anything, but today neither of us are providing medical advice of any kind. We are both talking for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please contact 911 or your local mental health service authorities immediately. And we will leave some other resources down below if you or someone you know are struggling. I also wanted to sort of give a trigger warning along those lines. We will be talking about grief. We'll be talking about mental health and we haven't actually begun the episode yet, but any other significant trigger warnings that I believe that you should know about, I will pop under the screen at this moment and I will also leave them down in the show notes. So go ahead and check those out if that's something you might be concerned about. Third disclaimer here, we are both white presenting, straight presenting, cis presenting. We're both well-educated and we have ample access to resources and support in our lives. And that is definitely a privilege. And our perspectives are obviously coming from these lenses because those are our experiences. And we want to acknowledge just sort of the privilege in that and that everyone's experiences are going to be different in this area. So let's first, when talking about pandemic grief, Let's first introduce the topic of grief. So for what reasons or different ways might people grieve? So people grieve really when they experience any kind of a change or transition or a loss. Um, Even really great things that we think of, like going to college. Most people work really hard to get there. They want to be there, but it's a huge change and you lose things along the way, right? Like you're Uh, If you go away to college, you lose the smell of your room and your home cooked meals and friends and, you know, familiar surroundings. So even though it's a good thing, sometimes there's loss that comes with that. So that's, um, that's what loss is, right? Any kind of a change in our environment or um, the people that we surround ourselves. Grief are the feelings that we experience after a loss. It's just what happens. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. Um, A lot of people feel like we need to fix somebody when they're grieving, but really it's just the normal natural response that we all experience after loss. So diving further into that, how would you define pandemic grief and in what ways are college students experiencing pandemic grief right now? Yeah, Um, it's 
you know, we're all learning. So I'll just put that out there right now. I'm not necessarily, and I always say I'm not an expert in grief. I'm an expert in my own grief. I'm not an expert in yours. Um, and pandemic grief is something that we are really learning a lot about every single day. Um, the grief that we're experiencing right now sort of as a collective society looks, um, there's so many different issues uh, going on with it, but it's obviously it's the isolation, the, the lack of, you know, ability to be with friends and family, um, to, to not be able to go to a classroom and take your classes live and um, to be sitting home alone in a classroom alone. It's also the worry and fear, sometimes um, the reality of illness and death that we're all living with right now. So some of you may know someone that's actually been ill or died from COVID, um, maybe not even from COVID, just during this pandemic, but that whole experience of loss is different now because we are really struggling with, you know, funerals and, uh, you know, other kind of community rituals that we typically engage in and the support that you'd normally get when somebody is ill or dies is very different. The other issue with pandemic grief is that the support, not only is the experience different, but the support that's available is very different. And, you know, I do a lot of therapy uh, where people will come to me and talk to me about grief. Typically, I'm not going through it with them, right? So uh, if somebody comes to me and says, my mom was just diagnosed with cancer, even if I've had cancer in my life before, I'm kind of able to deal with that because maybe it's not intensely present in my life right now. But with pandemic grief, when somebody comes to me and says that they are, you know, really struggling with some of the things that's going on with COVID, that, you know, somebody's ill or they're worried about, you know, visiting with friends or getting the virus, whatever it is, I have those same worries, like just as present as they do. So the lack, you know, I hope I'm doing an okay job supporting people, but the reality is that, you know, everyone is going through this together. So it probably makes me a little bit less uh, present and available uh, to people to be able to support them. So people aren't getting the same kinds of support that they normally would uh, because we're all going through it. So we're all triggered by pandemic grief. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned earlier that loss and grief are neither good nor bad. And I think people, like you said, people assume that grief is a bad thing. They assume that loss is a bad thing and they just want to fix it and fix it and fix it. And I think that's so frustrating about being in the pandemic, not only because you really can't fix grief in any context, but we can't fix the pandemic at this moment either. That is <laughs> so true. it's just... Yeah, it's really, it's in some ways, I always say that that's kind of freeing for me to know that I don't have to fix it, um, even though I want to, but, um, but I can't, you know, so uh, I always say, like, if I break a bone, thank God, there is like a treatment model, right, where I can go to someone and say, I broke my bone, and I need you to fix it, fixing it sometimes is very appropriate and needed, even in grief, right, Um I need somebody to cook a meal. I need somebody to pick up my kids from school. I need somebody to call my friends and let them know that somebody died. Like there are things that you can do to sort of fix, you know, something, but the feelings of grief, there's, there's nothing to do. There's only witnessing. There's only, you know, that hopefully opportunity to be present and supportive and listen to people who are going through it. So when it comes to coping with pandemic grief, and the college experience, where would you say a lot of college students are getting it right? Or like, where do you see a lot of college students succeeding is probably not the right word for this, but what strengths do a lot of college students have in coping during this time right now? Yeah, I'm, many, thank God. Um, I think first of all, um, college age students, typical college age students, 18 to 22, and I know everybody's not, um, everybody that goes to college is not that age, but um, most of those people have grown up with technology. So they are much more comfortable online than many other people like myself. Um, I didn't get my first cell phone until I was 25 or so. So, um, 
So they, the, you know, they're much more comfortable on technology um, and staying connected to friends through technology. So thank God for that because they don't have to learn a new way to communicate with their friends. For many of them, technology is the way that they've been doing it primarily for many, you know, for much of their life. So that's, you know, a good thing that they're very comfortable and willing to use the technology. Um, even with like Zoom, like if they're going to therapy, um, which many people did in person, it was certainly not nearly as prevalent as it is now, but um, many of them are much more comfortable. And, you know, now it's available much more uh, to college students through like things like this through Zoom. So they're, they're already comfortable with the technology, which is great. The other thing that I think that college students do really well um, is advocate for themselves. They are much more aware, I know, than when I was in college. Um, I didn't think to speak up for myself to say that, you know, uh, maybe my university wasn't doing something right. I would just complain to my friends, maybe. Um, but students now are much more willing to sort of activate, to get together, to figure out how can we fix this, bring it to administration. Um, I actually just interviewed a woman um, for my podcast um, at Penn State, and she started a whole organization um, for college students in her specific college at Penn State uh, because she found a need. She said there were students that were really struggling to connect with one another. And so we decided to start a club. So they started a club. They bring in speakers around campus uh, to talk about what's available to them on campus. They have a Zoom dinner once a week so that they can all kind of get together, um, you know, more casually um, and, and decrease the isolation. So I think their, you know, innovation and their comfort with technology has been really, um, you know, one of the factors that um, allow them to do well during this pandemic. So to back it up, I guess, for a second, getting a little ahead of myself, coping with pandemic grief. Yeah. I guess because grief looks different for every person, this might not be an easy question to answer, but how do a lot of students kind of display that grief or what are they feeling? What are they thinking? What are they doing because they're grieving? Right. So it's not easy because I can't speak for everyone. Um, and um, I am not a college student, so I don't want to pretend that I know um, everything that they're going through, but I'll tell you that um, I am the parent of a college student. Uh, when he first left for college, a friend of his died um, before COVID existed, um, and then now he's in college dealing with pandemic grief. Um, so I could just say that, um, you know, some of the things that he's done um, that have been, you know, amazing, uh, he knows what he needs, so he does things like exercise. That's really important to him. So for the first, um, the first part of the pandemic, March through about a couple of weeks ago, he was home. Um, his school was fully remote, um, and he really knew that he needed to exercise. So he he had one friend that was home, and they set up a gym in that kid's basement. Uh, no, in his garage. Sorry. Um, and they worked out a lot. So he knew that that was something he really needed to do. Um, he also got a journal and found that to be a really helpful thing for him. Um, a lot of students I have found, um, they really do, they need to be together. And that's, it's a terrible challenge. I mean, I, I feel it, you know, that it's, it's probably the most important thing at that age socially is to be with other people your own age, to explore relationships, to uh, explore independence. And all of that was sort of taken away during this pandemic um, for very good reason. And I'm not you know, debating that it shouldn't have been, but uh, there's you know, finding that balance, I think, between how can I stay connected to people and relationships and even explore new relationships um, while making sure that I stay safe, I think has been uh, some of the biggest challenges, at least in my little world. I also think that many students struggle with things like sleep always um, in college. That's always kind of an issue, right? Lots of work and, um, and late nights. And even now, even though there's probably less late nights with uh, parties and things like that. Um, sleep has been an issue, I think, for a lot of students. So they're really struggling with, um, you know, shutting their brains off after being on technology all day. Um, 
it feels sometimes like you're on the computer all day, you go to sleep, you wake up, you turn your computer back on. And that's been, I think, a big challenge for a lot of students. I definitely feel that. And I've been calling it Zoom fatigue or like Zoom burnout, screen time burnout, but it's, it's, it's tough. Real. It is absolutely real. <laughs> and, you know, I, um, like I was talking to my son and he was telling me that this semester, his teachers have actually said to him, you know, we are becoming much more aware of the reality of Zoom fatigue. So if you can't make it to class, if you can't turn your screen on, if you, you know, whatever it is, we're okay. Um, and in some ways he really appreciates that because he's like, they get it. It's, it is really hard to stare at the screen all day. And then it's in some respects, he's like, but I kind of need to be accountable because otherwise I might not go to class. So giving me permission not to go actually makes it harder for me to go. So that's a struggle too, right? And I don't know what the answer is. There's, you know, uh, it's, it's a real challenge. And I think for some people, uh, you know, my son was uh, lucky and privileged enough to live in a house where he has his own space. And when he was um, at home, he was able to take classes in his room and he didn't have distractions and other things going on in that space. Everybody doesn't have that same option and opportunity, even in his dorm now that he's on, now that he's on campus, he has a roommate. So if they're both taking Zoom classes at the same time, even if they have headphones on, it can be really challenging. So we've talked about, I guess I would call them more positive coping, you know, exercising, prioritizing connections. But where would you say you see a lot of college students struggling to cope or using potentially more destructive or negative coping mechanisms for this? Sure. Um, now I'm going to just talk more generally, not about my own my own child, because <laughs> mm -hmm. he's perfect if he's listening. Um, but you know, I think drug use is um, up. They they the the um, reports about suicide is not. Um, they haven't reported on it yet. There's a lag of about 13 months, so we won't really know. But the research is showing that there's a lot more calls to suicide hotlines. Um, than there ever were. Uh, you know, domestic abuse seems similar, that there's a lot more calls um, for those kinds of things. And, you know, the reality is when you're in school, people get to see you, they get to check in on you, they get to say like, wow, you look like you haven't showered in a couple of days, you look, you know, these bags under your eyes are really deep and dark. Um, and they're not getting as much of that. So they're not getting um, the same kinds of support that may have been available to them. So even if they are struggling, um, there's not as many eyes on you, right? There might be more intense eyes on you, like in your little living situation. If you live with someone else, they might, you know, your parent or your roommate may be able to notice it more because they're with you all the time. But in many situations, that's not enough people. You need more people to kind of check in on you. Um, so, you know, the drug use is really scary. Um, the accidental drugs overdoses, we've been hearing a lot about them because you're alone. People aren't checking in on you. Um, you're not using drugs as recreationally as maybe you did before because you're alone. Um, and, you know, I'm not promoting drug use, but if you were using drugs before at a party, uh, there's lots of people around to kind of check in on you. And if you're using drugs alone in your room, no one's there to check in and make sure that you're okay. So that's been, you know, a real concern of mine. And certainly, again, I don't have the statistics, but I certainly feel like I'm seeing more people who are bereaved because of drug overdoses. So that's really scary. Um, eating as well. Um, personally, myself, I love to cook and bake and eat. Um, and it's definitely showing in the, um, how loose my sweaters are on me or not loose how my sweaters are on me. So I don't think people are always taking as good care of their bodies as they had been, even, you know, moving my body. Um, and, you know, college students as well, like they're sitting in front of a screen all day. We're not getting up and walking around as much. Um, we're not getting outside as much. And those things are really important. They really do good things for our mental health and not being outside. And I have heard students tell me that there, there are four or five days that go by that they actually don't leave their homes or their dorms. And that's 
you know, I'm very interested in the research at some point that we'll talk about, um, you know, if that's um, really detrimental or not. Absolutely. I, I mean, I'm hoping that some kind of silver lining that comes out of all this is that we have a lot of really great mental health and health in general research for all demographics talking about how we as generations and as populations are dealing with this and have dealt with it. For sure. I'm very curious about that. In some ways, I feel like there's some really good things that have happened um, to um, uh, to support people who are typically more marginalized, uh, like therapy. Um, many people didn't have access to therapy. They didn't have time to go to therapy. They didn't have um, spaces to go. And like many universities, I've heard they, you know, most of the kids that are at a school have a computer available to them um, and they don't have to walk into a counseling center. So doing it online um, may remove some of the barriers for some people. And I've heard of some universities that are now offering like Zoom rooms. So you can go to the library and you can find a quiet room that's private. Um, so you could do therapy there. It doesn't have to be for therapy. You could just wanna have a private conversation with your girlfriend or something, but you can use those rooms for therapy sessions as well, which is, you know, really gets rid of some of those barriers and stigma that comes with uh, going to therapy. I love that you talk about drug use and by drug use, we're also talking about alcohol and other substances that people are using, marijuana or whatever. And I think I do want to point out to college students that the reason that we use these things and do these things is because they feel good. And that's important too. Obviously, there are a lot of negativities that come with frequently using drugs, frequently using dangerously addictive drugs, frequently drinking alcohol, but ultimately we're trying to feel better. We're trying to feel good. We're trying to feel something. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are going a lot of different directions with trying to feel good or feel different or feel something. And for some people it's translated to more positive habits that have benefited their health. And for other people, it's translated to some more negative things that could be more destructive, but there's no judgment here for either of those things. We're just talking about what is happening. Right. The reality is, you know, um, and you're right, there's no judgment about any of those things, but um, for people like, again, with, and obviously there's a difference between smoking pot and using heroin because one is potentially much more dangerous than the other. Um, so I think it's important when you're doing anything, if you're exercising, you think that's a great coping tool, right? But if you exercise 24 hours a day, it's actually really dangerous also, right? Eating is really important. We all need to eat. If you eat 24 hours a day, it's not going to be healthy for you. So any coping tool, there is nothing that's um, all good or all bad. And it's important not to rely on one coping tool too much because it can become, uh, you know, I'll say dangerous. I, I was relying on baking bread for a long time. I love baking bread. And then I was literally like kneading the bread and I broke my finger. So, you know, I was doing it too much. I was like literally working my hands too much. And then I broke my finger. It was sort of like, you know, an aha moment for me. Like I need to think of other things that I can be doing. This is not the only way I can cope with really intense feelings, even though it's not like a bad thing. I was, you know, making bread and giving it to neighbors and friends and doing nice things for people. Like it was all good, but it was probably too much. So I knew that I wanted to do this episode and talk about pandemic grief. And when I brought it up to you to talk about it, you're the one who actually had used the term pandemic grief for the first time. I don't remember what I had been calling it in my head before, but I realized through, you know, being privileged to be in therapy and to have a lot of self-awareness about the, who I am and how I feel, I realized I'd been feeling a lot of grief around, you know, losing a part of my college experience that I'd really been looking forward to and really enjoyed. Like I signed up for an in-person graduate program and doing in-person internship rotations and spending time in person with my classmates. And now none of that is happening. Yep. And I realized 
how much that just kind of sucks. Yeah. And I feel like it's so important to be talking about the fact that this isn't necessarily traditional loss and everyone has their own experiences in this. I'm privileged enough to still be like employed and in a warm, cozy house with people who love me and support me. Yep. But how can we talk about pandemic grief more and how can we have more productive conversations around pandemic grief? I think it's such an important topic that you bring up. I, I was thinking about, um, the first part of that was that um, I was working with a young man who goes to a very large school, um, you know, one of those big rah-rah schools, lots of, you know, fraternities and sororities and the football team and, um, you know, lots of school spirit. It's, you know, really important, which is why he picked that school. Um, it probably wasn't the best academic fit for him, but he cared more about the social fit. He really wanted that experience. That's what he thought of as college. Um, and he's not getting that. I mean, you know, he's, he feels really kind of gypped. I'm spending all this money uh, to go to the school and I'm getting, you know, the other experience, the small school, um, you know, very small classes, no, you know, school spirit at all, really. Um, so I think it's, you know, some people would say that, um, I think, you know, some of the messages that he's receiving is like, you know, get over it. You're lucky that you get to be in school and uh, it's, you know, it's one year, it's happening to everyone. Next year is gonna be hopefully different and you'll have that whole experience. But for him, it really feels like, yes, it's happening to everyone, but that doesn't diminish the fact that it's happening to him. And I think a lot of people are struggling with that, with this, um, when you think about pandemic grief, that, and grief in general, I think we, we always compare ourselves to the other person, right? So if you're sitting in a room with five people who've all experienced a loss, it's very likely that you're comparing yourself and saying, okay, her loss is worse than mine, but mine is worse than that person's, right? Um, so it's, I think a lot of people are doing that with this pandemic. Like, okay, well, I haven't, I didn't know anybody that died from the disease. So I don't have the right to feel really bad. Um, or, you know, I do know somebody that died, but it wasn't, you know, uh, my, you know, an immediate relative. So, you know, they have it worse and they should, I should allow for their feelings, but mine are not as important. And that's not true. Um, all of our feelings are important um, and they're valid and we should honor that. So despite the fact that, you know, there's probably only one person in the world that has it the worst, we probably don't know them. Um, we all have, you know, we're all somewhere on that spectrum, but for us, it's the worst, right? Whatever it is that you're going through is really the worst thing for you. So we need to really honor that. And I think that that's, a, you know, a really important, piece of this puzzle that, you know, we're all, because we're all in it. So we're all just comparing like, you know, what each of us is going through and, and trying to decide if, if we have the right to feel the way that we feel. And we all do. I'm trying to remember if that's answering your question. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Sure. So let's talk about the role that social media plays in all of this. Uh, positive, negative, ambivalent, let's talk social media and pandemic grief. Sure. Um, I mean, I think, you know, in many ways, I think social media has saved the day. Um, there's so much resources out there that are now available that we are all finding, uh, you know, including myself on social media. So I found you on social media. Right. Um, so there's so many connections I never would have made if I wasn't using the social media. And I'm so grateful for that. And I think, um, you know, many students right now in colleges, that's how they're being, you know, that's how they're finding out information about what's happening in their on their campus or if they're not on campus about, uh, you know, clubs that they're doing remotely and um, there's so many opportunities and education, um, you know, a lot of validation of what we're all going through is happening on social media. And I, um, I can really appreciate the value in that. I keep thinking about 
what would this pandemic look like if we didn't have the technology that we have right now? And, you know, talk about isolation. I mean, we could talk about Zoom fatigue, but I personally would rather the Zoom fatigue than sitting alone in my room with no one to talk to. Uh, that's just me. I'm an extrovert. Some people might prefer it the other way. Um, but for me, I feel like that that's a real benefit that, um, and people have really embraced it. I think people, some people who have, you know, shied away from social media are now using it in ways that they never thought they would and finding a lot of benefit in it. Um, but there's also that FOMO that still happens with social media. That's been a, um, a phenomenon that's been going on since social media, you know, was born. Um, but, you know, despite the fact that many of us are really hunkering down and not doing much, there are people that are still doing plenty. And even for those people that are doing just a little bit on social media, it looks pretty amazing, right? Um, I was just talking to a young person who was saying that, you know, uh, she's been really stuck at home. She has um, a mom with a chronic illness and they're being very, very careful. Um, her friend who has also been pretty careful, um, but just went to Florida for a long weekend, I guess for president's weekend. Um, and I'm not, you know, if people have feelings about the fact that somebody's traveling, that's fine. But the reality is she's not traveling often. This was a one-time thing. And again, I'm not, you know, judging that. Uh, but, you know, this woman, this young woman that I was working with was really feeling like oh, people are out, people are doing things and I'm really doing nothing and I'm stuck here. And, you know, and that the person that went to Florida actually, you know, it's the first time it's been 10 months and really isn't doing all that much, you know, but sometimes on social media, it still looks like a lot. So I think that's really hard and you're not able to kind of get out in the world and see like, oh yeah, people really aren't doing anything. Um, most people anyway. Um, so that's, that, you know, that continues to be a struggle and, you know, sitting alone in your room, staring at the screens, looking at, you know, probably a very small percentage of people that are doing things, but it might look bigger than that on your screen. Um, and then ruminating about it, you know, alone in your house, it can turn into a much bigger thing. So I think that is, you know, certainly a danger. Um, and, you know, I was reading about um, a pretty prominent um, doctor last week whose son died on um, due to a drug overdose. He had bought drugs on Snapchat, I believe, um, laced with fentanyl. And, you know, I think those kinds of things are probably more prevalent right now. Um, people know that people are lonely, isolated, um, bored, looking for things to do. So there's probably more of that happening. I don't have a statistic on it, but that's a scary thought. So we talked about this a little bit earlier about how with the pandemic, it's a lot harder for people to check in on us. And I wanted to ask for your best tips on that, because a lot of times when I feel like I want to check in on friends, I don't know how to do it without just reaching out and being like, hey, there's a pandemic just thought I'd be your dad, make sure you're eating food. <laughs> like, what are your tips for being able to check in on friends and also saving your mental energy? Yeah. Um, so that there's, you know, I think there's two points to that. Um, when you are reaching out to support a friend, you have to remember that that's what you're doing. You're there to support them. So um, I, sometimes I'll, um, I have one friend that I frequently call when I'm struggling. Um, and I always notice that within three minutes of me calling and saying something like, oh, I'm really struggling with something, that friend is all of a sudden talking about, oh, me too, this is what's happening with me. And all of a sudden it's a 20 minute conversation about whatever's happening with them. Um, and that just means that that person needs to get some support, which is fine. But if you are trying to be there for someone sort of check yourself and say, am I, am I in a place right now that I can do that for someone else? You may or may not be, and that's fine. That's just what it is. But don't try to do something that you're not actually able to do, right? So um, if you know someone's really struggling, but you want to be there, 
if you have a therapist or you have a friend that you know will really listen to you, get that support first for yourself and then reach out to them. Um, but talking honestly and listening is only one way that we provide support to our friends. So I was saying before, like I like to bake bread and what I've been doing is baking it and then driving around to my friends' homes, dropping it off at their house, texting them and telling them that I just left you some bread. Frequently, I stand at their front door. They don't know I'm there. Um, and I just leave an intention, you know, my wishes for them. Um, it makes me feel really good. And I hope that it's nourishing for them as well. So, you know, there are other things that we can do, um, other acts of service that I think um, show other people that we care about them. Um, you know, that's what I'm doing. There's plenty of other things that people can do, right? If you are, uh, if you listen to music and you know your friends like that, maybe you're make a playlist for them. Say this, I was thinking about you and this is the, you know, this is what came out of my, my playlist for you. Um, just to let people know that they are thought of because it can really feel like, does anybody know I'm here? You know, I'm like literally stuck in my basement for, you know, 10 months. Like, does anybody know that I still exist? And knowing that you're being thought of by other people can be really powerful. Absolutely. I think I want to expand on this just a bit. We don't have to get super heavy and sad about this, but I feel like a lot of college students also end up in the situation of being very worried about a friend, but not knowing, do I tell someone? Who do I tell? What do I say? Do I speak up? Do I say something to that friend? And so, again, I don't want this to get into a super heavy discussion, but do you have tips for students who might be in a situation where they're very worried about a struggling friend and not sure what steps to take? So when you say very worried, are you concerned that they are um, thinking about taking their own life? I think with that, at least for me, I've always been very firm about that advice. If you know someone in crisis who is a danger to themselves, you tell Absolutely. A trusted adult, you call 911, you get them to a safe place, their safety is more important than your friendship. Sure. But I think a step down from that, maybe a friend that you've noticed is drinking a lot, or a friend that you've noticed has been really quiet, or a friend that you've noticed is going out and partying or doing something very out of character. Sure. So all of those things, um, what I suggest you do is observe that and then tell them that you're observing that. Um, and also to say, you know, you really seem really despondent. Um, you know, are you thinking about taking your life? Um, that doesn't mean that they're in an immediate danger situation, right? Like, yeah, I have some fleeting thoughts. A lot of people have those fleeting thoughts. It doesn't mean that they need to go to the hospital. What you do by having that conversation is let the person know that you're a person they can talk to about it. So I think a lot of people feel really fearful of bringing that up because they don't wanna put an idea in someone's head. Um, but the reality is every single one of us has, we all know what suicide is. We've all probably had a thought about it at some point in our lives. We don't plant seeds like that. Um, but what we do is open up a conversation and let them know if you are ever having that thought, I'm a person that you can tell. I am going to make sure that you are safe. I am safe for you to talk to me about that. So saying something to your friends, like I, I've noticed that you're drinking a lot more than you used to. Um, it just seems out of character for you. Should I be worried about you? I am feeling worried about you. Um, let's them know that, okay, so this is a person that I can talk to about that. And maybe not, you know, 100% of the time, but maybe they're going to say, you know what, I am, I'm really struggling. I thank you for bringing this up. Thank you for noticing it. You know, um, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but um, have you ever been in a situation where you're having like, we'll call it a disagreement and with a partner or something and your partner says to you, stop yelling at me. And then you say, I'm not yelling, right? I've heard that that's happened to people before. Um, sometimes we literally don't know 
what's happening, right? We're not even aware of our own behavior. Um, and if we could all be a mirror to each other to let them know this is what we see, because sometimes like if, if I had somebody that had recorded that conversation and then I played it back and I'd say, oh my God, I, I was yelling. I didn't realize that. If we could be that mirror, that, that recording, right? To somebody else, it may help them become more aware of the things that they're doing and say, wow, you know, I, I really am isolating more than I should be. I didn't realize that, but people are noticing that, you know, I'm not getting out at all and I haven't showered in a week. And maybe that is something that I should consider, um, you know, getting some support for. Um, can it backfire? Of course it can. Can they say, you know, I'm, I'm furious at you, screw you, I'm never talking to you again? Maybe. Um, but most of the time, people really do feel like I was just seen. You know, I feel felt. I feel like somebody sees me. And that is a beautiful gift, especially in the middle of a pandemic where we can really feel very invisible. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, and I will say it again, just for the folks back at home, if you or someone you know is in crisis, they are in immediate danger, they will hurt someone or someone else, their safety and your safety are more important than preserving your friendship or keeping secrets. It is absolutely essential that you tell a trusted adult, and I'm 24, I don't know how old you are, Mandy, but like if we know someone in that situation, we are telling someone else. I am yeah. telling another trusted adult. Mm -hmm. I might be calling 911. I might be just saying, hey, get in the car. We're going to the hospital or whatever it is because- but I, I always you know, um, recommend that you, you thank them. Thank mm -hmm. you so much for sharing this with me. Clearly, you know that not only are you struggling, but that you're you're telling me because you want me to make sure that you're supported. And I so appreciate that you feel that way. And it sounds like it's really scary. You want to validate their feelings and then make sure that they get to safety. So if that means I'm going to walk you down to the counseling center on campus, or why don't we call your you know, person, whoever that is, that makes sure that you're safe when you're having these moments or you know, we're going to take a trip. Let's get in the car. We're going to the emergency room, whatever it is. Um, but it is so important that people have that person because that's what happens, right? If they don't have that person, if they don't know that anybody's safe and they feel like they can't talk about it with anybody, that's where that, you know, that can lead to that despair um, and making choices that, you know, really they, they'll regret. The last thing I wanted to cover in this episode is I want to talk resources for students who are struggling with pandemic grief or just struggling in general. And obviously every college campus is different and there's going to be a lot of, I guess, variability, but let's talk where are generally good places on campus for students to find support? Um, so I do a lot of work with campuses in general. Um, and what I have been hearing um, there's a couple of really good sort of general places that you can get support. Um, and they're not going to work for everyone. So hopefully one of them will resonate with people. Um, obviously, most most colleges will have a counseling center. Um, oftentimes, they're hard to get appointments with, but um, they are available. And many of them will have like a 24-hour crisis hotline if you need that. Um, but the counseling center is, you know, staffed with people that are supposed to know what they're doing there. So um, that's always a good resource. Um, and then on most campuses, there are some other things like um, student run organizations. Um, sometimes there's like a mental health club um, or even your photography club or your running club, like whatever it is that might be, you know, your outlet. So I really recommend that people look into what's available um, student run on their campuses because so many of those things can might be the thing that you've always been looking for to express yourself, you know, um, a sketch club or an acapella group or whatever it is, but there's tons of things like that on your campus. There's also a lot of, um, I'll say religious organizations on campuses. Um, some of them may actually be religious. Some of them are more cultural. 
Um, but they're typically smaller organizations, so you can really get to know people um, that you might feel more comfortable with. So I always think that they're really good resources as well. Um, I would like to say um, your resident assistants, um, they're, they're there because they want to be. Uh, they want to be supportive to um, students. Um, they don't necessarily have all of the skills, right? They haven't learned everything yet, but they are a resource and they certainly know about resources on campus. So I do recommend that people check in with their RA, let them know that they're struggling, ask them what, what's available on their campus. Absolutely. And I always say, if you don't know where to go on your campus, look toward residence life or look towards your student parent organization or your multicultural international department because if this place isn't where you need to be the people there will know where you need to go yep exactly so we're on the same page mm -hmm. <laughs> in terms of off-campus resources outside of students seeking out counseling or therapy off campus which i have a whole podcast episode about i can link in the show notes <laughs> what would you say are some good off-campus resources that students can access? Can I plug myself? Of course. <laughs> I'm a good resource. Um, I mean, that's really what I do. I work with um, all of those like smaller organizations on campuses um, to teach people how to support friends, students, teammates, sorority sisters, um, you know, how to support them when they're grieving. So um, that's what I do. I do presentations all the time specifically to that. So if people are interested in learning more about how to support someone who's going through you know, any kind of a loss, um, I am happy to do that. There's also a ton of other resources. Um, and I always, you know, I love it when people just call me um, and I'm happy to connect you to those because sometimes people want something you know, more local or more, you know, maybe like religious affiliated or if they're dealing with a specific kind of a death like you know it was a cancer death and I just want to be with other people um, who went through that same kind of an experience. There's a lot of groups right now many of them are virtual but there are groups in person and virtual that um, sort of meet the criteria for lots of different kinds of losses so I'm always happy to help people find them as well. I'll just say there's um, I'm part of this um, organization called the National Alliance for Grieving Children and their website is www.childrengrieve.org. Um, it's not just for children. They actually are considering changing that. But, um, but if you go on their website and you put in your um, location, it will list a whole bunch of resources that are available to you in your area. That's so cool. Yeah, it's great. Are you aware of any uh, virtual or social media resources. Obviously, everything is virtual right now, but any great people to follow, obviously yourself, but any other people or organizations that have really strong uh, supportive social media presences? Um, those are good questions. I do follow a lot of people, so um, I didn't think about um, who I would share, but um, again, the National Alliance has a great um, social media presence. So it's the NAGC. I think it's I think it's the National Alliance for Grieving Children. I think that's their um, handle on most social media. Um, so they're great. Um, there's also another organization that I'm part of called the Coalition for Grieving Students. And they have a lot of really good resources as well. Um, for young adults specifically, there's an organization called Heal Grief. Um, and they have an app called AMF, Actively Moving Forward. They've always been online and they have some online support groups as well. Um, so I would say those three are probably pretty good places to follow and myself. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts about pandemic grief that you'd like to share? I don't know about a final thought. I mean, I, I hope that, you know, the message came across that um, all grief is valid. So if you're feeling like you're struggling with pandemic grief, um, you might not have even known that's what it is. You just feel stressed or anxious or, um, you know, out of it a little bit. Um, there is a term for that. So it actually exists. Everyone is experiencing it, experiencing it in some way. So we're all in this together and, 
you know, despite the fact that we're all in it together and we're all struggling, there's also a lot of support available. So reach out to me, to, uh, you know, to your neighbor, to your college counseling center, wherever it is, um, there is support available if you reach out. Thank you. Welcome. So my loyal listeners know what's happening next. Thank you so much, Mandy, for joining me. And I'm going to turn it over to you to give my listeners your food, your follow, and your fun this week. So a food that you've been loving this week, a follow that's been uplifting you, and something fun that you've been doing this week. Okay. Well, food, I think I mentioned the bread thing. Um, I've been very into making um, challah. So um, it's like a twisted bread. So I've been making four strand breads and nine strand breads and having all sorts of fun learning all of the braiding techniques. Um, so I would say that's my food. I do love to cook. So I also, I've been lately subscribing to all of these like meal prep programs, you know, where they send you the food. Um, so I've been trying new foods and things that I wouldn't necessarily cook. So that's been fun. A follow. Um, a follow. Um, there's another organization that I follow um, called Radical Grief. Um, and they've got some great social media and I, um, I always find them uplifting. So I would check them out as well. And then what was the last one? Fun? Yes. What am I doing for fun? Um, I'll say I'm struggling a little bit more with the fun. Um, I'm working on fun. I love this is us. It's my favorite show. It's been, um, every Tuesday I get ready to watch. And then some Tuesdays I thought it was going to be on. It's a repeat and it's so disappointing, but um, I've been loving that. So I do really look forward to my, you know, TV. I need like, you know, an hour or so every night to kind of watch my own show and just kind of zone out and not worry about what else is happening in the world and in my family. And so that's been probably my fun right now. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. If you like this episode, go ahead and leave me a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Leave me a comment down below. If you're watching on YouTube, let me and Mandy know how much you love this episode. We would love to hear from you. Definitely go and follow me on Instagram. I am at FeedThatNation and go check out my blog, FeedThatNation.com. I upload new podcast episodes every Wednesday and I upload YouTube videos every Saturday. Until next time, my name is Natalie. This is Mandy. You've been listening to Feed That Nation and we'll see you soon.